maybe distribution is king and content is crap. This is episode 31, the crap-filled, or I mean content-filled episode of Media Unplugged, the podcast that goes behind the spin to reveal what's really happening in media. Media Unplugged with Tom Asacker and Mark Ramsey. Welcome to Media Unplugged. I'm Mark Ramsey. And I'm Tom Asacker. Tom, maybe distribution is king. We used to think content was king, but maybe it's not content. Maybe it's distribution. Maybe. This is the age of maybe. This is the age of maybe, and we're talking about a piece called Grantland, about the topic of Grantland. This is from our friend Bob Lefsetz. I don't know if he's our friend, by the way. I'm actually kind of guessing he's not our friend. but We're giving him a lot <laughs> of attention. He should be our friend by now. <laughs> he should be our friend by now. Grantland, of course, the, uh, the portion of uh, the late and great portion of ESPN's digital platform hosted by, uh, run by Bill Simmons, Bill Simmons late of ESPN, now with HBO. Bill Simmons leaves HBO, uh, Grantland leaves HBO, or Grantland leaves ESPN soon after, and that's what this post is about. This is what Bob is talking about here. We can debate the financial viability of Grantland all day long, he says, but we cannot debate the fact that the site was synonymous with Bill Simmons and without him, it's toast. Now, Tom, I think that, you know, calling something toast when it is unambiguously evident... (laughs) that it no longer exists and thus is toast, that's pretty. That's kind of low-hanging analytical fruit. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> Listen, I love, and you do too, I mean, Bob's stream of consciousness posts, I just find his interior dialogue fascinating because he's, whatever's <laughs> going on in his head, he just types it and hits, you know, post or something. Well, that's true. I think that's right. And that's why I think one of the difficulties that I have with uh, Bob's stuff is that it is hard to read because he's not. He is a stream of consciousness writer. For example, this is my favorite part of this piece. But we love the cult of personality. But too often it's not deserved. But sometimes it is. <laughs> well, it's you know I, op- that? I I often here's the funny thing. I often find myself agreeing with what he writes, but many times I have to stop and think about what is it exactly that I'm agreeing with. <laughs> you know? That's right. Well, that's because in one piece, he makes a point, he disagrees with his own point, then he agrees with the disagreeability of his own point, and it it, it ends up looping upon itself. And I think every, it's it's what you said to me once before, we were talking about a presentation you gave, and you said, this presentation has been given so many times, there's something in it for everyone. (laughs) Everyone sees in it what they like. That's what Bob Lefsetz's pieces are. Everyone sees in it what they like. Yes, he is absolutely a genius. So here's some of the stuff he writes in this. ESPN thought it was pulling one over on Simmons by calling the site Grant Land. Everybody knew it should be Simmons Land. Well, frankly, I don't. I, Doesn't something tells me that wasn't. As well. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's exactly what ESPN had in mind. My guess is that ESPN was trying to build a platform bigger than Simmons alone. Right. But okay, when the execs start believing they're bigger than the talent, you know you're in trouble. Okay, well, fair enough. I think it's fair to say ESPN actually is bigger than Bill Simmons, but that's a different <laughs> matter. He talks about Apple. He says, "Where's Apple today? Did you notice they're giving a fifty dollars discount on a watch if you buy an iPhone? Do you ever remember such a deal?" His point is that. Apple, without Steve Jobs, he actually writes this, without Steve Jobs, Apple is history. They're toast, too. They're toast, too. Now, where is Apple today? Well, let's see. Apple's, Apple's profit at $11.1 billion for their fourth quarter, up 22% from last year is where they are today. <laughs> but that's just today, Tom. Um, the world runs on talent, and executives hate this. 
Nate Silver is talent, he says. The New York Times let him go. If he was still at the Grey Lady, he'd be the most important person in political reporting. At his own site, he's a sideshow. <laughs> now, again, Tom, Nate Silver hit his stride when people were voting. I know. When people cared about the outcome of votes. Right now, nobody's voting. I can assure you, when people start voting again, they're all going to be all over Nate Silver. So I think this point is a little bit off. Now, he does get, again, as he always does, to things which actually we can all believe in. Platform is everything, he says. If, if you're talent, know that platform is, is everything. If you're the executive, know that talent is never going to be manageable. So this is how he wraps it up. <laughs> Distribution is king. If you can't see or hear it, it doesn't exist. Well, that's kind of... That's a tree that's falls an, in the woods. Yeah. That's, yes, that's an identity. Yeah. Um, but, the, uh, but distribution without talent is a complete failure. Talent first, never forget it. So distribution is king, but without talent, distribution doesn't matter. Talent in other language would be termed content, but distribution... I told you, you, see the, you I see told you, it's logic. like a Zen koan. His, his, his stuff's a puzzle. You, 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 you hear it and you say... Yeah, but then you don't even know what you're saying yeah about. Look, <laughs> does the world run on talent? Is talent the fuel of success? Like he says, absolutely. Talent, creativity, art is what changes culture. Culture is what moves people and drives the marketplace for anything mm. and everything. But if your talent, as he says, is platform everything, are you history without reach? That's what he says. I don't know about that. Look, yes, mm -hmm. we live in a very noisy world, but it's not impossible to gain people's attention. And you can keep it and live a rich and interesting mm -hmm. life if you relentlessly appeal to people's desires in an interesting and valuable way. You know, I'm reminded, I don't know why this came to mind because it has nothing to do with what he writes about, which is primarily, you know, music and talent. But I'm reminded of that documentary movie, Hero Dreams of Sushi. You ever see that? No, I didn't. It's awesome. Anyway, it's about an 85-year-old sushi master, an owner of a 10-seat <laughs> sushi-only restaurant located in a Tokyo subway station, and his relentless pursuit of perfection with sushi. Now, mm -hmm. by the way, he charges around $250 for a serving of sushi. Mm -hmm. And and he the place is full. So... Can you do the same thing, you know, given this online environment and, and, and the ability to build your own platform or use free platforms like YouTube? Yeah. If you create something that turns people on and that they're compelled to continue to experience and to share with others, then you don't have to go out there and search for a platform. You can have a great life doing what you love to do, assuming that you can do something great. I mean... I don't know. This idea that mm. platform is everything, of course it's not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Now, distribution well, matters. I'll tell you distribution why. Distribution matters. Uh, let me tell no, you why, ahead. Mark, because <laughs> this struck me as kind of, this was like a, a slap and I don't know if it was water over the head slap, but I figured all the metaphors. Somebody emails me and says, I would like to grab a clip from one of your YouTube videos to use in a speech in an in industry conference. So I say, okay, go ahead, whatever you want. It doesn't matter to me. So she says, mm -hmm. which one should I use to best make my point? So I, I, I don't know. Now you're consulting. Yeah, so I don't know. So I, so I go take a look at like what's on YouTube, different speeches, presentations that, I, that made it there that I've given. Mm -hmm. 
And now here's here's the thing. Most of the views of my of these videos, and it's me, they're all me talking the same way, mm-hmm. maybe in the low thousands. Some are in the hundreds. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I look at my TEDx talk, and I'm it's still me. It's just me doing my thing. It has 125,000 views. Mm. Now, I haven't seen them promote the video. So mm-hmm. this is a demonstration of the power of platform and, and mm. findability on that platform. You, do you see? I mean, it, it's yeah. all about the platform as far as those numbers go. Well, see, now you're talking about something a little bit different because he's talking about distribution. You're talking about platform, and I don't think those are necessarily quite the same, right? Because technically the platform you described has kind of the same distribution capability, right? as any other platform. It's just that it's part of this branded thing that people go to for certain reasons, looking for certain things, right. and it's got this cachet, right? That's right, which makes it a it's, distribution, a source of distribution of things that people are looking for, right? That's, I think, why, um, it, it, as I was reading, this distribution is king. If you can't see it or hear it, it doesn't exist. This is where I think sometimes people get it wrong because the idea of distribution is not the same as the idea of potential distribution, right? The idea that, well, we're online, we're on YouTube, so we're distributed universally, Tom. We're available to all. We're available throughout the world at any time, right? That's not the same. I mean, what is distribution, actually? I feel like distribution is kind of an agreement between people who have attention, an organization that has attention, and someone who's creating content to kind of focus that attention on that content. And the way TEDx does it is by saying, here is this repository of all this trustworthy, thoughtful, you know, branded stuff that is going to be worth your time. It's different from saying, you know, here's something that exists out on the long tail of YouTube. You may notice it. You may never notice it. So distribution alone is not... It, it, it's distribution alone is not what we're talking about. We're talking about kind of trusted distribution. Yeah, trusted, distribution att- trusted attention. Exactly. Trusted attention is what we're talking about. Right, which is why it's so wonderful, Tom, that our podcast, Media Unplugged, will soon be appearing on the American Marketing <laughs> Association's well, platform. Mark, look, and, and I think that's great because, look, here's the deal. He talked about all the noise in the marketplace, and there has always been a lot of noise, as far as I'm concerned, in every arena. I mean, there's a great line from, there's a boxing novel called The Professional, which was written by W.C. Hines. He's the writer of the novel MASH, which made it to mm-hmm. the film and the, and the acclaimed TV series. And in it, he wrote, the amateurs have always crowded the highways to everywhere, so it's never been easy for the pros to get through. He's right. It's up to the people mm-hmm. with the platforms to recognize the pros and let them create their own brand of magic. That's the synergistic connection that makes everyone happy in this type of environment. That's right. But I think even even you know even his uh, Bob's um, request that we focus on talent first, never forget it. We need to recognize that even now in this area, the people who are the, um, the, the gatekeeper. There are still gatekeepers oh, yeah. even now, yeah. right? There are still gatekeepers. I was reading the other day. I was watching, you know, don't think less of me, but it was Halloween. <laughs> I was watching several episodes of Friday the 13th, okay? And here's what I discovered when I looked into Friday the 13th. Did you know that of all the horror film franchises, and you name them, Exorcist, Friday the 13th, Halloween, Chucky, uh, Saw, Friday the 13th, arguably one of the least among those franchises, is the most profitable of all the franchises. Wow. 
Friday the th- uh, Freddy Krueger. I don't care. Friday the Thirteenth, the most derivative. I know. <laughs> the most redundant, um, perhaps the most mediocre of all the franchises is the best. So remember that when you focus on the closing <laughs> words of Bob Lefset's piece: "Talent first, never forget." <laughs> You're listening to Media Unplugged with Tom Masecker and Mark Ramsey. Tom, content is crap. This from a piece uh, from Social Media Today. The title is, What If Content Is Not King? Here we get back to that again. And it opens by referencing an article from the Harvard Business Review by Greg Sattel. And um, here's how it opens. We never, and this irritates me beyond <laughs> words. Sure <laughs> we never call anything that's good content. Nobody walks out of a movie saying that they love Sin says, wow, what great content. <laughs> Nobody listens to content on their way to work in the morning. Do you think anybody ever called Ernest Hemingway a content creator? If they did, I bet he would punch him in the nose. Well, <laughs> come on, Greg. First of all, no, consumers don't use the term content. We business people use the term content because we're looking for a catch-all, a generic term that covers content in all its manifestations across all platforms. <laughs> of course, regular people don't use the term content. We're not stupid. So that was a little kind of an awkward start to the, to the piece. But it, I actually thought it went uphill from there, Tom, because here's the nub of the argument. Here's what Greg writes. The problem is that content isn't king, content is crap. Why is it crap? Much of it is designed to grab attention, but fails to hold it. The problem is the content is not a long-form version of advertising, and I agree wholeheartedly with that. What about you? Well, he reports in the article, uh, I think he cites the Content Marketing Institute that, that reported that although the majority of marketers have some kind of content marketing program, less than 40% of those marketers find the efforts effective. And, and, and so I, I thought about it. They didn't really go into what does that mean, effective. Yeah, I have no idea what yeah. that. That's why I didn't mention it, because I have no idea what yeah, that means. Yeah, does it mean the efforts are ineffective at creating awareness? Is it ineffective at generating interest in, in, the, in the company's products and services? It, isn't mm-hmm. it, is it not moving the needle on sales? You know, so what are they trying to get this content to do? And, and here's the mm-hmm. thing that I think most content marketers are missing. Like we've mentioned on previous episodes, it's not like we don't have an abundance of options for how to entertain ourselves with various media and stories and storytelling, everything from podcasts to TV shows to Netflix to movies on demand, whatever it is. So if, the, if anyone's going to create anything that requires us to stop what we're doing and to invest some time and attention, if there's a clear and relevant connection to the brand and the content provides value to people, yeah, okay, entertainment value, but maybe learning, you know, maybe to learn how to use this piece of software or social currency, something I can send to people so I can look smart or, you know, up-to-date, hip, that Mm -hmm. could be effective, assuming that the value of the brand itself also comes across clearly and compellingly, right? Because if it doesn't, mm-hmm. if, if I go, oh, this is wonderful, look at this, I, you know, I love this content, it shows me how to do these exercises, and uh, let me share it with my friends, and, and it's sponsored by some protein powder who I don't trust that I don't think is any different, that's more expensive than anyone else, mm-hmm. what good's the content? 
Well, that's the challenge then, right? I mean, b- drawing that linkage is the challenge. Even Greg goes on to say, good content needs to build an ongoing relationship between a company and its consumers. This is your point. It needs to be useful. It needs to tell stories. Uh, to get people to su- subscribe to a blog, a YouTube channel, or social media feed, you ne- need to offer more than a catchy slogan or a clever stunt. You need to offer real value and offer it consistently. This is what you're, you're yeah, arguing but right Beyond here. that, there has to be a connection to the value that the brand is trying to exchange with the audience beyond content. Look, I can have tens of thousands of Mm -hmm. people watching my videos, reading my newsletters and all that. If nobody picks up the phone or emails me to to, to speak in an event or buy my book or anything, then then what good is all this? Well, and that's summed up at the bottom of the article. Satel doesn't talk about this. Is this is because I'm I'm listening to you saying, well, how in the world do you do that? Satel doesn't talk about what will be necessary on a business by business level to make content marketing a success, which of course would be incredibly useful if he actually did say anything like that. But I believe, and now this is the author of this piece. I believe it will require a real investment in content creators. They'll need to be given the time and the skills they need to create real stories. They'll need the skills of journalists and directors. We're talking about skill set here, no, Tom. We're not no, even talking no, about the no, per- what you're no, describing. No, 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 <laughs> This is This is so misguided. We do not need to fill corporations with journalists and movie producers. We, what we need to do is strategically understand what this content is supposed to do and the connection it's supposed to make between what we're trying to sell and what people are trying to receive. And if you don't do that, I don't care what kind of content you have. It doesn't matter. Well, okay, let's go down that path for just a moment because let's talk about an illustration of what that might be like because I'm trying to get in my head. How do I, and I agree with you, by the way, but I find taking that conclusion to practice to be an immensely difficult process. And I know it's going to be different for every brand, right? right? But, I mean, give me an example of how someone assesses that content marketing problem and and puts it into practice in an effective manner. Well, take for an example uh, people that do it right and wrong. I mean, so Red Bull says, uh, okay, so we have this thing. It's an energy drink. It makes people feel great when they're doing extreme things, lifting weights, skiing, jumping Mm -hmm. off mountains, whatever. Hey, I know. What if we create all this content that that really stirs these people and we make the connection to our brand, which is you drink this little can and you, you know, and you do these extreme things and you get these feelings and you go wild. The connection is there so that when people are reading this stuff and watching these videos and then they're walking through the store on the way to the gym, they, they automatically go, yeah, this makes sense. Pick up that can. I get it. Mm -hmm. But mm-hmm. there's other... The connection is really... You're saying the connection with the purpose of the brand and the goals of the brand and what the brand is trying to achieve, achieve in the marketplace is really kind of the, the, the central goal here, right? Yeah, if you want it to go click were in people's minds when they see the brand mm-hmm. and experience the brand. Otherwise, what are you doing? You're just getting <laughs> attention. And attention by itself is not going to sell products. Again, what the writer here says, I believe it will require real investment in content creators. They'll need to be given time and skills. They need to create real stories. They'll need the skills of journalists and directors. They'll be, need to be given room to experiment and even to fail. And as I was reading this, I thought, well, good luck with that. 
<laughs> because that's never, ever going to happen. The idea that we're going to say, well, let's see if Mr. Spielberg's... Is Mr. Spielberg available? I need to sell some soda right now. <laughs> Tom, it's time for Rants and Raves. What do you have oh, this week? Oh, man, I don't know. I already just ranted on all this content creation. I feel bad now. But this is, this is definitely a rant, and I'm not the only one doing it. This is So this is not going to be a surprise for anyone, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But you've heard about Starbucks creating this. Oh, I'm, this was one of mine. So we're going to have a, a double All rant right. on this. So this whole go. outburst of media attention with the release of the of their 2015 holiday cup is just uh-huh. pushing me like right right over the edge here. I mean, I, <laughs> me too. I, I mean, yeah. So Starbucks describes this thing as a two toned ombre. Which I had to look up ombre. I don't even know what the hell that means. Two-toned ombre design with a bright poppy color on top that shades into a darker cranberry below. <laughs> so let me translate. I thought it was a monochromatic red. Yeah, so let me, yeah, let me translate. It's a plain red paper cup, and it's got the green <laughs> Starbucks logo on it. There's no reindeer, no snowflakes, no snowmen. Right. And believe it or not, because it doesn't have all these, <laughs> these little symbols... That has some people really pissed off because to them, it somehow illustrates Starbucks' dismissal of Christmas as a Christian holiday. (laughs) Now, how in the world snowflakes and spruce trees signify the birth of Jesus of Nazareth is beyond me. But many are convinced that Starbucks has started a flat-out war on Christmas, right? So this is Arizona-based evangelist. He posts on his Facebook page, which went viral. Starbucks removed Christmas from their cups because they hate Jesus. Now, I don't ever remember Jesus saying, take this cup and drink from it, but only if it's adorned with icicles and evergreens. And <laughs> so I think we're losing it. I really do. And I'm telling you, in the video, this guy says, I went in, I asked for my coffee. They asked for my name. I told them my name is Merry Christmas. So they had to, I tricked them into putting Merry Christmas on my cup. Okay, clever guy. And, and Starbucks, they cleverly maintain that the cups are meant to be a blank canvas for customers to create their own stories, <laughs> inspired uh-huh. by the doodles and designs that customers have drawn on their white cups for years. I mean, Jeff Fields, Starbucks vice president of design and content, he said in a statement, in the past, we have told stories with our holiday cups designs. This year, we wanted to usher in the holidays with a purity of design that welcomes all of our stories. Now, the thing that really cracked me up, you know, being the media hustler that he is, Donald Trump even chimes in on this thing. He, oh, I didn't see oh, that. Oh, yeah. He says, no more Merry Christmas at Starbucks. No more. Now, Starbucks is one of his tenants at Trump Tower in Manhattan. Uh-huh. So, you know, so Trump goes on to say, Maybe we should boycott Starbucks. I don't know. Seriously, I, I don't care. By the way, that's the end of that lease. But, but who cares? Who cares? Who cares? <laughs> and I say, exactly. Who the hell cares? Have a cup of coffee. <laughs> Buy a homeless person a cup of coffee. And if you work in the media, stop giving these ridiculous people, including the Donald, the attention that they so desperately seek. This is just unbelievable. I mean, when I read this, I and I I was I highlighted that same Jeffrey Fields 
kind of this VP design and content. And you know he didn't write that stuff, <laughs> by the way. You know some marketing communications person wrote it. This year we wanted Usher in the Holidays with a purity of design <laughs> that welcomes all of our stories. We're talking about a monochromatic red, a red cup, cup with a logo just for on the it. sake of argument, all right? <laughs> yeah, with a logo on it. By the way, the colors, when you combine the monochromatic red with the red logo, we're talking red and green, <laughs> yes, which is traditionally associated with certain holidays. <laughs> I am excited about the prospect of changing my name to Merry Christmas. <laughs> so if you change yours to Faith Popcorn, I'll change mine to All Merry right, Christmas. What do you say? Let's do it. I did see, and this was in uh, the Ad Age post, that uh, one person had gotten you know, countless thousands of retweets by adorning her red cup with the image of uh, Jesus, um, who, from what I can tell, <laughs> is wearing a spa robe and in front of him is another guy. I don't even know where this guy pops up in the story. But he's either one of the disciples or Marvin Gaye. I'm not sure which. But then the capper was something else that's floating around. Um, an image of a coffee cup, and around it is a sleeve. And on the sleeve is printed these words. If coffee cups define your Christmas, honey, it's you who needs Jesus. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> So I have a second rant as well uh, this week, um, and this is from a piece in Digital Next called, and this one just makes me nuts, why REI's hashtag opt outside is a model for the future of marketing. Well, now, you heard all about this, didn't you? Uh, you know what? Remind me. This, the all whole right, this Starbucks is REI, thing, you so. know, the, outfit, the outdoor outfitters REI, uh, yep. they're doing the unthinkable. Black Friday this year, they will be closed. They have deemed it the holiest day in all of shopping, except for this year, because they're going to actually pay their employees to hashtag opt outside. <laughs> and here the piece says, REI's much lauded decision is an example of what happens when a brand has a truly empathetic understanding of its customers, Tom, <laughs> and uses that understanding to create experiences that customers value. REI's decision reflects its fundamental empathy for its customers who have zero desire to stand in line for the best deal on a gorgeous fall Friday. Now, Tom, the only people who don't have, who have zero desire to stand in line on Black Friday are all the people who never stand in line on Black Friday. It turns out all the people who stand in line on Black Friday have a great desire to stand in line on Black Friday, hence the term Black Friday. <laughs> and this just, and by the way, whenever you're going to do something good that reflects a central understanding of the needs of the consumer and an appreciation for your hardworking employees, it would be more authentic if you didn't precede it by the use of a hashtag. Oh, we've just lost another potential sponsor for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We're losing them weekly. I mean, how do people how do people not keep falling for this? This is just clearly they made some calculus at REIHQ that said we will get more attention and more sales if we close on Black Friday and make a big hullabaloo over it that gets earned media than if we're open on Black Friday and get drowned by the by the noise of Black Friday from all the other merchants, including Amazon You're and so the rest. Cynical. I mean, am I wrong? You're so cynical. <laughs> am I not right about that? I would think so. I, I honestly think that the Starbucks thing was a whole scam too, but, you know, who knows? <laughs> That's Media Unplugged for this week. Please remember to subscribe to us at iTunes or on Stitcher. And while you're there, please rate the show. It helps other folks discover us. And that, some people believe, is a good thing. 
You can also catch us at SoundCloud, Podcast One, Radio Inc., Media Village, and Net News Check. And coming soon, this is so exciting. I'm excited. To the American Marketing Association's blog and digital platform. You can follow Tom on Twitter at Tom Asacker and Mark at Mark Ramsey Media. Send us your questions and comments using hashtag Media Unplugged. If there's a media topic you want us to cover, you know what to do. Tweet us. You can read the show notes and share the show at our website, MediaUnplugged.net. Special thanks to the amazing producer of Media Unplugged, Jeff Schmidt. Exciting audio from media. You can find him at Jeff-Schmidt.com. For Tom Asacker, I'm Mark Ramsey. Thank you so much for listening.